Good morning, everyone, slash afternoon, evening, night, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast. Um, welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to all my new listeners. Every week I'm getting a whole bunch of new listeners coming in, so welcome. Um, definitely troll through all my last episodes and have a little gander at those as well, but hello. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited as usual, I think I literally start every single podcast with talking about how excited I am about the episode that's to come. But this one is going to be all about sort of having less fear and less attachment to existing things in your life so you can live more of a free life and not feel that you have to hoard everything that is good in your life and that you have to live in a protective state the whole time um, because being that way kind of forces you to shut off it forces you to be you know fearful negative in a state of fight or flight all that shit and so we're going to learn how to kind of rewire those pathways and we're also going to learn why we feel this way in the first place and how to kind of tackle these thought patterns so pretty exciting anyway let's just let's cover the week that was for me um, in the last week, I officially started back at uni. I have one, I'm doing uni part-time, my master's part-time. So I've got one year left if I pass all subjects. I'm doing two subjects this semester and then I've got another two remaining. And then hopefully, if all goes well, I will pass and I will be a neuroscientist officially and legitimately. Um so that started, honestly, very interesting subjects. Absolutely loving it. It's all about like um, pathology of the brain and what happens when you get a lesion in the brain and how your behaviors change or how your personality might change, different ways of rehabbing the brain, neuroplasticity, neurodegeneration, all the good stuff. So that's really cool. Also, this week, I helped my best friend Liv move. She's moved into her own apartment. So we've gone from being... 11 minutes walk away from each other to now approximately eight minutes walk away from each other. So that's very exciting for me. Um, we're even closer. We literally, the last year, I think we like we followed each other around Sydney. We've always stayed quite close where we've lived. So this is very good news. So I helped her move. I must say I am a gun removalist, you know, when it comes to amateur removalists, I would pit myself up there with some of the best as I feel I'm very efficient. I love to put things together. I do love to wipe things down and clean. I like to put, you know, the feng shui of the room and make sure it's all flowing quite nicely. So it was great. It was a great time. Um, highly stressful for her, I would imagine, but great time for me. And then the following day we went to Ikea. Now, I do recall talking about how much I hate going to enclosed shopping centers and Westfields. I, th I think I said this on like the first, maybe the third or fourth podcast I ever released. I spoke about how much I despise being stuck in an indoor shopping center. I'm about to go completely back on my word on that and say that the biggest exception to the rule ever is Ikea. Oh my God. Get me one of those little tiny studio apartments inside Ikea and let me live there. I fucking love Ikea and I understand that there are also no windows. There's no way of telling the time. You also feel bewildered once you leave there because you're like, what the fuck just happened? How long was I in there? Was it one minute? Was it 10 hours? I don't know. There's no way of really telling the time. However, there's something about that place that just works for me. 
and my brain and I fucking love it. So, yeah, I understand that I am a contradiction. But, hey, I contradict myself in many ways, many, many ways. You're going to find that I, yeah, literally, I, you know, I'm all about balance. So, yeah, go do your workouts and then have a cigarette after. No, don't. I'm joking about that. Don't. I mean, do what you want. Live your best life. But, yeah, okay. What, what else has happened this week? Um, oh, guys, okay. So, Reels has been released now on Instagram and I think that's Instagram's obviously it's their answer to TikTok. So now that Reels got released, I thought, oh, I might um start uploading some videos on Reels because I've done a few things on TikTok, but it's all just like fitness videos, nothing like super exciting or whatever. Which then reminded me that I did try a dance career on TikTok with my cousin Giselle and Giselle yesterday sent me a video of us attempting a TikTok dance. Guys, I'm I don't know if I can even post this video. It is so laughable and so cringeworthy. It's fucked. Like we were determined to do that TikTok that went around and it was the J-Lo dance for the Super Bowl. I don't know if you've seen it, but it is so amazing. It's such an epic dance. Anyway, all these people, there was a bunch of people that had released this dance on, you know, I'd seen it on Instagram. They had shared it from their TikTok and it's a really like cool dance. It's like, imagine it's J-Lo and her backup dancers, all these like hot Latino girls in tiny white shorts and a crop top. I'm like vibe, we're recreating this. But before we recreated this video, my cousin Giselle, my cousin Lorena and myself sat down to watch all these other people's versions of this video and we probably spent the better part of an hour criticizing the shit out of all these people doing the video but like lol oh my god that person's not to the beat wow that person's not even putting in the effort wow that person can't even like move their hair ha 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 we're gonna do so much better we're gonna do so much better so we thought easy it's fucking you know it's a piece of cake it's a walk in the park so we fucking filmed our first attempt and I'm here to say that never have I literally have had my ass handed to me more than replaying that fucking dance video. Guys, I'm, I'm in two minds about sharing this because if I share it with you guys, you will be forever grateful that you saw the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. But at the same time, I risk my life because Giselle will probably murder me. So that's something I'm going to have to sit with for a little bit and then make a decision if I'm going to show you that dance video. But needless to say, it is painful to watch. It is hideous. You feel an array of emotions all at once watching it from cringe to horror to shock and disbelief and then laughter. Anyway, so that's kind of where my week has been thus far, an array of emotions ranging from, you know, contemplating a Reels TikTok career to helping my friend move to starting, you know, um, my final year in my master's in neuroscience. So what a, what a range of different fucking things that went down for me this week. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Wow, I've already eaten seven minutes and I'm just talking about how shit I am at dancing. Seven minutes in. Let's get started on the topic of the podcast. Okay, I'm going to break this podcast down as per usual into a few different chunks. It's going to be like four or five different sections. So firstly, I'm going to start with the neuroscience. I normally end on this, but today I want to start on this because I feel it's going to be quite relevant to many things that I touch on throughout the podcast, but the neuroscience of fear or protective mechanisms um, that go down in the brain. Secondly, I'm going to talk about the fear of losing things close to you and why we are so fearful about this. Thirdly, why we feel such a deep attachment to certain things and people. Um, fourthly, what 
we have been taught to believe based on the norm and based on how most of people live their life and what we kind of consider to be the way things should be done and fourthly kind of what we can do about it. Okay, let's dive straight in. So before I start talking about the neuroscience of the brain, the topic of today's podcast specifically is about living your life in fear of losing the things that you have. So it's really common that you might be dating someone that you absolutely adore and you want to spend the rest of your life with this person and you really want to build your life based around that person and then, you know, you have a job which you deem to be one that's going to, you know, it's going to serve you well in your life. You know, it's it's a career that you can follow through with. It's something that works well with where you live and your relationship and then if you have children – you know, so all these things you start to like slot into place, you know, your life partner, will you have children with them? Maybe you already do. Your career, your home, where you live, your network of friends, your family, all these things start to piece in to your your vision and your perception of your life, right? So the difference is that there are people out there that look at all these things and have these things and feel this desperate need to protect it at all costs and everything has to be perfect and everything has to go a certain way in order to not lose any of those things and there are other people that also have similar things in their life but have a much more carefree mentality of like it is what it is I'm just going to roll with it and whatever happens happens kind of thing you know and the difference is that the people that are the second thing that I explained like the more I'll roll with the punches they live a, li- a life with less fear, less attachment, less worry, less stress, less panic, and they're able to enjoy the moment a lot more. The people that have this need f- to protect everything that they hold dear to them, they don't actually love their friends, family, or partner more than the other group. They- it's not that they love them more, it's that their perception towards the things that they possess in their life come from more of a fear-based place than more than a vulnerable based place. So if you slot into that category where you are so scared of losing what you already have, then you probably suffer more from uh, anxiety, jealousy, um, feeling feelings of being threatened by other people or situations or circumstances, feel feeling that you might lose something. You're kind of not always, but a lot of the time in a state of flight or, or fight where you feel that you're going to need to, you know, really protect what you have and fight for what you have and, you know, don't try and steal my man or don't try and steal my woman or I need to protect, you know, that kind of mentality. So those are the people that are more likely to feel anxiety, to feel stress, anger, resentment, all of that. So they are normally like you can kind of divide it into two groups. Although within both groups, it's a bit of a spectrum. You know, there's people that are like, it's really intense and then people that are a little bit stressed but not too stressed, you know, like obviously it's not black or white, this thing. So let's talk about the brain. So the brain, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts before, but the brain, um, you're, you've got different pathways and networks that function in the brain that serve different purposes. So obviously the fear-based network Previously, it was believed to be like one fear center, fear learning center called the amygdala, but now that's proven to just play a role in what turns out to be an actual circuitry throughout the entire brain, like a link of all these pathways that uses quite a few different areas of the brain that 
link fear-based behavior and fear learning and conditioned responses and all that shit. So most of these pathways occur in what we call the midbrain and that's anything that's subcortical, the cortex being the top few millimeter level layer of your brain. So anything that's in the top few millimeters of your brain, which is cortex, is considered to be the newest part of the brain as far as evolution is concerned. And then as you go down and down and down the levels, you start seeing older structures of the brain. Really interesting stuff with that as well. Um, Like fun fact with dreams, you don't actually smell things in your dreams because um, smell is one of the most primitive senses and that is in your midbrain, whereas all the other senses have been developed and heightened in your cortex. So the evolution of the other senses have occurred right to the periphery of the brain and they're more likely to be involved in your dreams, which is quite a modern thing for the brain. Um, Yeah, cool. Anyway, so these fear pathways are more midbrain, more primitive thinking. It's all survival-based, which makes sense. So it doesn't matter what species you are, you're going to have this primitive innate thing built in you that when certain things are going to trigger a response of fear, you have to either fight it or run away. And that is built in us for survival. So it makes sense. So we have created this response that we don't have to think about. We don't have to ponder it. We just respond in a certain way. So it's a quick response is for our survival. And we're able to react in a fast enough way to get ourselves out of that situation and survive or protect the things that are important to us to get them out of that situation to survive. So that all makes sense. We're all happy with that. The cortex and the prefrontal cortex, which is more to the front part of your brain, that's more to do with critical thinking, analytical thinking. It's where you can predict a response or you can kind of predict an outcome based on a behavior. So you can think, if I do this, these are the likely things that are going to happen. Or if I partake in this situation or speak to that person or say this thing, these are the likely outcomes. That's all forward thinking, critical thinking. That's in the, you're able to um, plan for the future. You're able to um, understand consequences. People that have injuries to that area of the brain are less likely to factor in consequences for their behavior. So they're more likely to you know, partake in really irresponsible behavior, gamble all their money away or not rock up to work on, at the right time every day and things things that would cause them to then potentially lose certain things in their life because they're not factoring in um, consequences for their behavior. So that's what happens when people get an injury to that part of their brain. They actually stop factoring in consequences. So the beauty of these two networks is that they can talk to each other and override each other. So if it's a legitimate proper fear, no matter how much you try and override that real fear with a logical thought, which is from the modern front part of your brain, your fear will win. Those those networks are going to communicate, communicate, but you're like, nope, that car is actually coming towards me no matter how much I try and talk myself out of it. It's a thing. I'm fucking jumping out of the way and it engages all your muscles and your reflexes and bang, you're out of the way, you're safe. It's done its job. It can then work on in the other way. If you're starting to think a fearful thought but it's an irrational fear and you're thinking, oh, um, you know, that person's going to leave me, I'm terrified, that person's going to leave me, they're going to leave me, you can then intercept that thought with a logical thought saying, okay, let's look at all the information we have at hand. Have they shown any indications to why they're going to leave me? Have they shown any behavioral changes saying that they are going to leave me? Is there someone 
telling me that it's a fact that they're going to leave me. Have they said it or not? And if all those things point to no, then you're able to intercept and being like, I'm being irrational here. That's not a thing. They're not going to leave me. I can just relax. Okay. So now that we understand these two different networks that occur in the brain, also understand that some people are heavily driven by their fear-based networks and some people are heavily driven by their logical networks and pathways. This can be learned, but this can also be something that the way you were raised or there might have been trauma that's occurred in your life for, for your fear networks to take over. So there's certain things that can happen to you that you didn't do it on purpose, but now you behave in that certain way. And to an extent, genetics can play a role in this as well. But it's not to say that you can't rewire your patterns and rewire your thought patterns and processes to kind of allow other pathways to play a stronger role in your brain and therefore in your behaviors and your thought patterns moving forward from here. So that's the beauty of the brain and the thought patterns. Cells that um, fire together, wire together. So the more you're engaging in a behavior or a thought pattern or a belief system or a physical action, the stronger those pathways are going to become and the more likely that they're going to eventually trigger faster and take over as the dominant thought pattern in your mind. So let's specifically talk about this fear-based pathway, the fear circuitry in the brain. This is all for survival. This pathway doesn't have anything to do with growth, experiences, expanding our lives, our knowledge. That's not the responsibility of the fear circuitry pathway. This pathway, this network is concerned only with your survival. So we have it, we've got to give it props for that. Like it's done a lot to help us. We can't head on it all together. But that's its only and its primary role is for your survival full stop. It's not going to be in charge of anything else. So sometimes this network will try and intervene in other areas of your life where it doesn't belong. So we have to tell it this is not your place, okay? Fucking stay in your fucking lane and let the other parts of the brain take over. But often that's not the case. And what happens is our brains protect, this is our brain's protective mechanism and it wants to make things in our life as predictable as possible because for that network, that particular network, predictability means safe. So due to this, this network in our brain will make us prefer a predictable outcome over the unknown even if we know that this predictable outcome is making us unhappy because it is the safer option. We know it. It's predictable. So, for example, staying in a job that you fucking hate, that's a predictable outcome, but it's safe. It's providing you with an income. So that over, you know, trying your luck at another job or even if you were offered another job, but it's either less pay or less security, as you would call it in parentheses, quote-unquote security in that job, then you're less likely to do it if you're allowing these fear pathways to take over. You're going to choose the shitty job because it's more secure. You've been there for longer. It also is, you know, I'm not going to um, leave this relationship that I'm in where I'm not happy and I don't see myself ever be happy, ever being happy, but I'm married. It's security. We have a home together. We're going to have kids together or we do have kids together. I feel secure knowing that this is what I can expect for the rest of my life. However, if I leave, it could be great, but it could be terrible. I could be single forever. God forbid. I could be single forever and hate my life. Um, you know, so you start coming up with all these horrible scenarios in your head of why you could never fathom the alternative if it went wrong. No, nah, no, nah, I'll just stay with the safe thing. That's your fear-based 
you know, networks firing like crazy and stopping you from taking that leap of faith, stopping you from trying something new, stopping you from experiencing anything different or trying to grow, okay? So that's only a certain network in your brain that's doing that. It's not your whole brain. But sometimes we think it's our whole brain because you might have a really dominant fear network that's playing out in your brain, whereas other people don't. So you see other people, you know, doing things easier or you know like taking the plunge easier or speaking to people with no problem or public speaking and you're horrified at the thought of doing that just because at the moment you've got quite an overactive fear network circuitry going down in your brain now when that circuitry anticipates any kind of loss it doesn't mean that that loss is actually happening but when you anticipate it as a possibility we tend to hold on tighter to what we have and we retreat as well So that is the exact opposite of progress. So sometimes when you feel like you're not advancing in your life or not advancing in a certain aspect of your life, it could be because you're fearful of losing what you currently have, like I was talking about before with the job or the relationship. You're scared to lose that despite the big chance that you might be gaining something new. So that is our protective mechanism. It's it's this need for certainty um, and as, as I explained, these pathways, these networks don't like uncertainty. So they're going to fire off warning signs like crazy to tell you not to do something or to hold back from doing something or to retreat if you feel that something is uncertain and therefore a threat. But the problem is we perceive these, this network is telling you that that threat is life-threatening, but that's not true. It might actually be a threat. You might lose your job. You might not find a partner as soon as you would have liked if you leave this relationship. But your fear pathway is telling you that this is a life or death situation. That's where the problem lies. Because if this fear circuitry was able to kind of calm the fuck down and say, look, that's not ideal, but you know, minimal risk, it's worth doing it, then it wouldn't be such a bad thing. But that is the role of the prefrontal cortex. That's the role of the predicting future outcomes, um, consequences, forward thinking, rational thinking. The fear network is life or death. You're going to die. You're going to die. If you do that, you're going to die. This is survival, survival, survival at its most primitive form. So every time that fear network is firing, it's telling you if if you leave this person for a better relationship, you're going to die. So don't. You know, so it's so dramatic. It's like my Latino mother. It's dramatic as fuck. So you need to learn to decipher. Um, Is my brain telling me right now that I'm going to die if I do this? Because if that's happening, then that's my fear network doing this, okay? Or it it might not tell you that you're going to die, but it's going to tell you that you're going to lose everything. You lose it all and you just won't be able to survive the way you've been surviving. So just remember, it is... Only concerned in your survival. Full stop, that's it. So the problem is that if you're looking at every possible scenario as a potential death or you're just going to crumble and dissolve and die, then you're less likely to go and do things with your life. And the things that you do have in your life, you're going to hold on so fucking tight because you're like, I cannot lose this. You know, my partner who's here now, I can't lose them. I'm terrified to lose them because if they go, then who am I? What am I? I'm fucked. I'm dead. You know, this is it. It's the end of my life as I don't know it. And I will never be able to continue on without this person in my life. So it's a very detrimental thing if we allow those fear networks to take over in all these other aspects of our life that aren't actually life or death. Okay. So every time you feel this extreme fear, you've got to be like, if this is not a life and death situation, I'm going to need to intercept this with a more logical thought. 
because otherwise this is going to fucking cock block me from having, you know, experiences in your life. Your fucking fear networks are the biggest cock block to you having good experiences in your life imaginable, okay? All right, so that's the brain side of things, like the full, how the brain is wired. Now let's talk about feelings of fear of about losing something or someone. Now this is really, the main one you're going to see this in is fear of losing someone, especially someone you're dating. You are terrified that they will leave you or worse, that someone will quote unquote steal them from you. I don't believe that that's possible just for the record. I don't believe that someone can steal someone from you. I don't care what you say. That's not a thing because that would entail the person that you're dating to not have any ownership over their own actions or beliefs or thoughts whatsoever. So no one can steal anyone from you. Fucking call me out on it if you want. Happy to have the discussion, but that's bullshit, okay? Someone that gets quote-unquote stolen, wanted to leave, okay? Now, when you become so heavily attached to these things, is when you start feeling fear. And the attachment is even worse when you make that attachment part of your identity, when that person or thing or career becomes part of who you are. If you're dating someone and now that person has linked into who you think people perceive you as a person and who you think what makes up you as a person, then that's when you are absolutely terrified to lose that person because if you were to lose them, you would lose a part of you now, you know. You're no longer completely wholly you. You've lost a part of you. Whereas the difference is people that don't feel this crazy attachment to other people, it doesn't mean that they love them less, but they see it as more we have come together in our lives and we coexist together and we complement each other, but I don't consider you part of my identity and who I am that if you left me I'm still 100% me if my job dissolved if I if I got fired or if, if the, the role no longer existed I'm still me if I no longer had this title as uh, uh, the best sprinter in the world or the, the best person in marketing at my company or whatever I would still be me if you are one of those people that is so fearful to lose these things and you have this crazy attachment style, then you're going to think if I lose that person, that career, that title, my home, then a part of me goes with it. So if you – that's a good way to kind of look at it if you're not sure where you sit. Honestly, if you're not sure where you sit, you probably are in that fearful category because it's pretty – this is pretty – certain like you're pretty sure if you're one of those people that try to hold on like crazy to everything that you have and you're terrified of losing versus someone that you know is more you know existing more in the present moment and understanding that while the relationship serves them or while the job serves them things are going to come and go in their lives now it sounds cold that mentality sounds cold from the outset but it's it's actually the opposite of being cold because you don't you stop looking at people as possessions you look at them as beings that live alongside you that there is no ownership there and it's actually a more of a pure real love as opposed to this you're a possession of mine and I have to have you that's actually 
not a demonstration of a deeper love than someone who's less attached. Someone who's less attached might actually even love harder because they're more able to love more vulnerably. They're more real in the relationship and they're able to bear their true selves in the relationship because they understand that if that relationship was to dissolve and if that person was to leave, that that's just the nature of impermanence which occurs in every area of our lives, including our own life, which will end at some point. So people that are less attached are actually going to be more able to love. And a good example for me personally would be when I, the first person I was ever in love with, I didn't have any fear at all because I'd never been truly hurt. So there was no fear um, and I absolutely just loved wholeheartedly. That was great. Then that ended and I was so devastated. But my fear came in the sense that I was terrified to enter another relationship, like terrified. And my excuse was like, I absolutely cannot bear that again. I can't live through another breakup. I can't live through this. I can't like, this is my fear pathways blowing up, going fucking wild, telling me like, if you enter another relationship, you're fucked, you're dead. This breakup, you literally just survived dead Alexis. You just, you just held on by one nail, but you know, you, you could have died. You know, that's how I felt. And it's obviously not the case at all. But that's what my fear pathways were telling me, being like, you nearly died. That's how bad the breakup was. It felt like you couldn't breathe, you know, it was just awful. So don't you dare enter into another situation where this could be the outcome again. You know, that's what my brain was telling me. And for months I was that bitter psycho being like, I'm never going to date again, you know. And then, of course, I dated again and then I got heartbroken again. But I was very well equipped and it was a completely different scenario. And now, obviously, I'm not seeking a relationship, but 100% I'd fucking date again. Without a question, I would do it. I would gladly fall in love again. It's not something that I, you know, would ever avoid, ever. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so what happens with this fear that people have is that you start to, you know, hold on tighter and tighter and tighter as you start realizing how good this person might be for you um, or how necessary this person is for your life and for your idea and your perception of where you want your life to go, that you start to see other things, other situations, opportunities for change and other people as threats because they might come in and rock the boat. So because of that, because of these perceived threats that aren't necessarily threats but you see them that way, then you start to feel fear, jealousy, competition. All these emotions start to creep in as you feel that your life as you know it right now, who you are as a person is being threatened because if the person that you're dating starts to talk to, like let's say you're, you've got a boyfriend, you're a girl who has a boyfriend or a guy who has a boyfriend and your boyfriend starts talking to other people that you think might be attracted to him, you start thinking – Okay, fuck that. That's competition. I'm jealousy. I'm and then you become a psycho, the psycho girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't want you talking to that person. I don't want you hanging out with those people. I don't want you working with those people. You know, you become a psycho because you feel that you have to hold them so tight. And what happens? You start to close your life down. You start to shut down all these avenues of potential experiences, potentially meeting new people, um, expanding your horizons. That's not going to happen because what, what, what's going to happen if you start expanding your horizons? More opportunities of threat are going to creep in. So let's not do that. Your fear pathway is going fucking crazy right now, being like, don't fucking 
don't meet that new person because that's a threat. That person's going to introduce that person to this person. So then you start living small and smaller and smaller until you've got this, you know, this, my boyfriend is this person and I've like pigeonholed him to be this person and I am this person. And if he starts to change, then that's a threat to me. So I don't want him to change. And if he starts wanting to grow, then, then I question him on why he wants to grow. You just turn into a fucking toxic psychopath when you attach your identity to people and to things. So if you're the kind of person that lives so cautiously, that's fear. That's purely fear. Your networks have taken over. Your fear networks have just gone absolutely, they've, you know, gone rogue on you and you're pretty much in a, in a position of helplessness. But the problem is that you feel that you are in control when you're not. You're actually not in control of anything external to you. There is nothing you can do or say to make an employer want to employ you for life, to make a partner want to stay with you for the rest of your life, to even make your friends want to hang out with you for the rest of your life. N- absolutely, there is nothing that is completely in your power that you can do to change how other people are going to interact with you, which means that you have to be in a state of, of acceptance that nothing is permanent. You might have a relationship that lasts you forever until the day you die or until the day your partner dies. Um, and that's, that's great. That's great if that's what you want. That's really nice. However, the idea that something isn't permanent is actually a very peaceful idea. And I was actually re- doing a bit of a research into the whole permanence and impermanence. And it's one of the main cornerstones of Buddhism, the, like getting your head around the impermanence of things in your life and of your life itself. And the truth is that once you can really wrap your head around this, you actually bypass a lot of suffering um, because our need for permanence is, imagine, uh, your need for permanence is needing something that's not there. You're needing something that doesn't exist. How is that possible? So you're literally setting yourself up to fail on a daily basis again and again and again. Like you might keep your partner for the rest of your life and they, you, they might choose to stay with you forever, but the relationship might change or you, you know, they fall out of love with you and it's a miserable relationship, but you're like, no, I need it to be permanent. So then, you know, you yourself don't ever want to leave them even though the relationship doesn't serve you anymore. Like you, you just have to understand that permanence is not really a thing. Everything changes and evolves and you might be in a relationship that you are able to evolve forever and ever and ever until you both die. Awesome. If that's what makes you both happy and if you both want to be there. But the problem is that these fear pathways that I was talking about that are firing like crazy, making you feel that you need the permanence, making you feel that you can't lose anything or if you lost it, it would be losing a part of who you are and your identity. The problem is that if we don't intercept soon enough with these logical thought patterns from the prefrontal cortex and block those thoughts and say, all right, let's rewrite that thought that's an irrational fear-based thought that's been put in place to save my life, but my life's actually not, not, at, not being threatened right now, so I don't need that thought, let's rewrite it. If we don't intercept soon enough with those logical thoughts, then we succumb to our protective factors and we fail to take action or make a change again and again and again 
to the point that even the thought of having something change in our life is just unfathomable. Like it's just overwhelming and we can't do that. I know people that can't imagine moving cities because they've lived their whole life in the same city and not only do they not want to, which is fine, but the thought of it is like, oh, why would you want to do that? You know, they can't, there are people that can't fathom the idea of that kind of lifestyle adventure or whatever because it's like you must follow permanence. You know, that's that kind of mindset. But if you can turn things around and see something as impermanent, then if it does end, you're less likely to ruminate forever about it, about what could have been or, you know, imagine if we had been together or if that person never left me or if that person didn't do that to me, then, you know, you you, you just wouldn't be stuck in that rumination cycle or the cycle of nostalgia. You're actually instead more likely to be able to close that chapter peacefully and look at entering a new chapter freely because you're not attached to the past. You're not attached to the fact that that should have been permanent, but it wasn't. And you're actually able to see where new opportunities are going to lie and you're able to actually, you know, take more leaps of faith, take, take action on new scenarios and new situations and new jobs, new relationships, you know, new experiences. So having peace with things ending allow you to embark on new chapters a lot faster. If you can't come to terms with that, then when something inevitably ends, you are stuck living in the past because that past represents something that you consider to be a part of you, when in reality, it's not a part of you. It's a memory. It's an experience that's helped you become who you are. But it's not a part of you because you're still alive right now and you are still whole even with that situational person not no longer there. You just don't see it that way. You think that you are now only a fraction of who you used to be, which is really fucking depressing and tragic and get a fucking grip on yourself and give yourself the opportunity to actually enjoy a good life. Like, do you not see how mean you are being to yourself by saying that that person is a part of you or that job is a part of you or by attaching that to your identity you're being so mean to yourself you're saying that you who you are is not enough that you need to start lumping all these things as part of who you are and now you are so attached to them you have to hoard them because if they leave you're fucked that's really insulting to yourself so be a little bit kinder and understand that you actually are enough as a human being even if that person or job or, or status dissolved now number three is why we feel the way we feel and I've pretty much already explained this with both those first two topics but it's because our networks have caused us to believe that these things are crucial for our survival just like I said before these networks are only there to help save your life you know so unless it's a life or death scenario we really don't need to be relying on those pathways that intensely it's not that necessary we only need to really rely on them for survival mechanisms like take jealousy for example you wouldn't be feeling such intense jealousy if you didn't feel that something could be taken away from you and from who you are imagine if you could turn things around and only want someone in your life if they were meant to be for you And if someone is interested in someone else or something else or quote-unquote is going to get stolen, then they're not meant for you. That's not your person. So imagine if you could change 
your attachment styles and your mentality and your thought patterns. And instead of coming from a fear-based perception as I cannot lose you, you come from a more open, logical place of thinking, if you were to leave, then you're not the one for me. Like we're not right for each other. So jealousy cannot survive in that environment. In an environment where you're not attached to permanence, jealousy cannot survive. This is not to say that heartbreak can't happen. You can live this way and be more free and open and relaxed and then someone leaves you who you adore and of course you're going to be heartbroken. You'll be just as heartbroken. But the beauty of it is you only suffer the grief of the heartbreak when the heartbreak happens as opposed to living from a place of fear where you suffer the potential of a heartbreak on a daily basis. So pick your poison. What's it going to be? One might never happen so you may never have to cross that bridge. And the other one, you're experiencing day in, day out, even though it's not happening. That's, in my opinion, pretty fucking cooked, okay? Now, this is where you really need to think, am I going to do the work on myself and work on changing my mindset and work on intercepting these patterns? Or am I okay with living a fear-based mentality where I think that everything has to be permanent in order for me to survive, Lastly, I'm going to talk about number four, and it's what have we been taught to believe? Now, this is something that's not been said to us. It's something that we as people kind of absorb and observe. But we as humans have actually been taught to fear losing something that doesn't even exist. How fucked is that? We've been taught to fear losing permanence when permanence doesn't exist. We've been taught that We have to strive for the partner that's going to last forever, the children that are going to live in a way that you want them to live. It's the idea of everyone has to replicate what the parents did. You know, you get married, you buy a home, you have these jobs that you're in forever, you have children, then they grow up and get married and have a home. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. How sad is it that we, as a society, perceive divorce as failure you know like you you're in a relationship it's not serving you you thought it would but it didn't and what could be something so simple as both of you dissolving the marriage and being like let's go our separate ways it's going to serve us for the better you then not only do you perceive yourself as having failed because it wasn't permanent but then you think that other people are looking at you thinking the same thing and then you think oh I'm a divorcee like that word is has this negative connotation to it I'm sick of fucking people putting negative connotations on on ideas and concepts that don't involve them like fuck off fuck off you know this idea that because something wasn't permanent for you you failed instead of actually you succeeded because you knew when to cut your losses. That's a fucking success. That shows strength. That shows resilience. That shows an ability to grow. To me, someone that can acknowledge a relationship that doesn't serve them or a job that they thought they wanted to do forever that doesn't serve them and tap the fuck out and say, I'm going to do this for my mental health, for my growth, for my life. And that person is also going to have the opportunity to grow now because we are both no longer serving each other That to me is something to be respected. I fucking love to say that because it's two people that now have the opportunity for some more growth, some new opportunities, some new experiences. 
But no, divorcee, you're divorced. The divorce rates are growing in this country. It's such a bad thing. Oh, honestly, what a wank. What a wank when people talk about that shit. It's pathetic. It's because society is obsessed, obsessed with permanence. And I think it's a crock of shit. To be honest, it's fucked. If your relationship serves you and you want to be together forever, you go do you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Love that for you. But if it doesn't serve you, why, why, why have you failed? Permanence is not real. So you literally thought you failed at something that doesn't actually exist. Okay. So let's just wrap our head, head around that because you're going to feel a lot less pressure on yourself if you can come to terms with that. You're going to not feel that you have to abide by certain rules that were set by people that you might not even know or people that you don't really care about their opinion. Start to ask yourself why you care about achieving a certain goal or maintaining a certain status in your life. Why do you care? Is it because you think it has to be permanent? Stop thinking that having a partner or being married or having a family and having children is crucial to form your identity because the only thing that forms your identity is you right now, you stripped back absolutely everything. That's what forms your identity. The effect you have on other people, that's what forms your identity. The way you interact with people that you know and the way you interact with strangers, that is what forms your identity, you know? And that's what's going to make you a good person or a bad person, the way you choose to to act in all those situations. Everything else are things that have come into your life and that you are coexisting with for a period of time. Might be short, might be long. Because if you think that all those things are necessary to be, you know, you, then what happens if you don't ever get married or have children? What's going to happen? That you're not a whole person now? Someone else next to you has a partner and children and you don't and now you're not whole? No. No. You might go through your whole life and not have any of that. And what's going to happen? You think you're going to evaporate into thin air? I can guarantee you, you won't. You'll be fine. But it's what what you do to make the most of your life situation that will determine if you're actually going to enjoy your life or not. And if you can go through life having less attachment to people and needing to live a certain way and and if they start growing, then you feel threatened, you're not going to have a good time. And if you were able to keep all those things in your life because you lived such a conservative life and you got to the end of your life saying, oh, great, okay, I held on to my husband my entire life and I held on to this job until I retired. Did you have fun? Was it fun? Or were you living in a state of anxiety and fear constantly? You know, sometimes you're better off letting go and just seeing what happens and just having a good fucking time while you're at it because we're all going to die anyway. We're all going to fucking die. So you might as well just calm the fuck down Calm those fear-based pathways down and allow your logical thoughts to like really take a hold of where you're headed and you're guaranteed you're going to have a much better time. So you need to start paying attention to your thought patterns a little bit more and start getting a little bit more critical with when something's serving you and when something isn't serving you. Now we're pretty much at the end of the podcast but I do want to talk about a kind of therapy that's done in cognitive behavior therapy and this is done with, it can be done in, anyone that's got like an anxiety disorder, whether it's generalized anxiety or social anxiety or any kind of anxiety disorder. It can also be done with people with uh, OCD as well. But it's where the therapist or the psychologist gets their 
patient to imagine, not for a long period of time, just for a very short period of time, they get you to imagine the absolute worst case scenario. And it shows by doing that, it shows all your protective mechanisms kick in. Fight or flight, you know, you start to have all these you know, thoughts of like, what could happen? What could happen? And then your therapist is saying, no, say what could happen? And you start like jotting them all down, all the things that could happen if this, if this, and you'll notice that almost all these situations are not life or death. They might change your life dramatically. They might be a massive blow, but you're not going to die. However, your body is acting that way. And then the therapist is getting you to, you know, reenact these, all these possible scenarios of what can happen if you get up on a stage and talk. What's the worst case scenario? You can't speak. You start sweating. You have to leave the stage. It all felt, do you, did you die though? No. Did everything in your life fall apart? No. Did you get embarrassed? Yes. Did people think that maybe you can't ever public speak again? Maybe, you know, there are going to be negative things that happen. It's not like it's all good, but you're not going to die. So often you have to think about what is the absolute worst case scenario. And if the answer is death, then yeah, think twice. But if the answer is not death, then you need to calm down around that scenario. Start asking yourself, will I actually die? Will I stop being me? Will part of me dissolve? Will I be in a position where I'm never going to recover? And most of the time, with the exception of very few circumstances, most of the time, not only will you survive, but you're going to make a full recovery and often you're going to lead to live a better life after it because you've actually grown and you've learnt and you can go and do bigger and better things after it. Okay, so you've got to ask yourself those hard questions. Guys, if you are doing my Mindset Hacks course, this week is going to be about negative self-talk and curbing negative narratives. So really excited about this one because I feel like Everyone at some point or another, to some extent, some people are shitloads, some people not so much, but we all have negative self-talk and it's basically tools and tricks to like cut them in the moment, intercept it, how to like change your patterns. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be quite interesting. So yeah, I'm excited. Yay. Um, if you aren't already doing mindset hacks, just head to www.alexisfernandez.live if you do want to get involved. They're just weekly modules and I give you homework every single week to target the specific topic that we're working on this is already week seven guys this is crazy so exciting anyway amazing guys thank you so much that is all for today hopefully you can implement some of these changes and start to like question your thinking and hopefully you can see where this plays out in your life if at all um and if you think anyone needs to hear this please send it to them again you guys are fucking amazing for sharing my podcast it's growing and growing and growing and it's very exciting because it means that i can you know invest more time in my podcast and start making this more of a bigger thing for me and for everyone who listens um thank you so much everyone just be kind to your brains be healthy be good um don't take shit from anyone and don't take shit from yourself danke and i'll speak to you next week my beans